in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read in the scripture the story of the feeding of the 5,000 people that were uh, on the field. And Christ came and he blessed the five loaves and the two fish and multiplied them so that all the people may eat. And when the apostles came to Christ and they asked him, you know, what is it that, how is it that we're going to feed these people? Or he told them, send them away so that they may eat. And Christ told them, no, you give them to eat. And, and even as he said this to them, there wasn't really a good answer. How is it that these apostles are going to answer when Christ tells them, you give them to some, something to eat? And yet in verse 6 we read, but this he said to them, for he himself knew what he would do. Right? Christ knew already what he was going to do, but he asked this question for a purpose, as a kind of a test, to see what is the response that they're going to have. Are they going to respond in faith, essentially saying, you know, you are the Lord, you can do anything, we, we trust you? Or are they going to express some doubt or skepticism about what it is that he is asking them to do? Which is in fact what they did. He said, there is no way we can feed all of these people, right? Like no amount of money is gonna, that we have is going to be able to feed all of these people. So Christ said this to them as a test. And, and actually, if we look throughout the history of the scriptures, we see that so many figures in the scriptures were tested. And actually, the only reason that we know of these people was because of the way that they responded to the test. For instance, if you look at Moses or Daniel or Job or St. Paul, all of them went through very difficult kinds of tests throughout their life, and they all responded positively. They all responded faithfully. And in a way that when the Bible records their story, we look at them as heroes of faith because they faced immense challenges and they responded positively and faithfully to them. Without these tests, without these trials that God gave them, actually we, we might not even know who these men were. We might not even have heard about them because there would have been nothing really special about them. There would have been nothing unique about them. What was unique about them is that they were tested in a very difficult way and they responded very well to this test and in faith. And this is why the Bible mentions them. And this is why we read about their stories and we gain faith and we learn how to trust God because God was faithful with them and we see how that he can also be faithful with us. In Acts 14.22 it says, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And while maybe all of us wish that this was not the case, and yet this is what is written, and this is what God has said to us, that it, the tests that God gives to us are for our salvation. It is the means by which that we enter the kingdom of God. And this is through God's love for us that he allows us to be tested so we can grow in him. So I want to speak a little bit about how does the trials that God sends us glorify him? How does God use the trials in so many different ways uh, to, to, for our benefit? So the first way that God uses trials is that the trials, they glorify God. When we speak about the story of Gideon and the 300 men that he took with him to war, God granted Gideon, uh, a judge of Israel, granted him victory over the Midianites when he only had 300 people with him. That he went again tens of thousands and Gideon only had 300 men and God wanted this. He told him, you know, oh, I only want 300. Don't give me any more than 300 men because it is through these that you will be saved. It says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. So in this type of a trial, God makes it very clear to the world and to us that he is the only way of success to us. That the success cannot be for myself. And instead, God is the one who is glorified. When the people see how 
um, God parted the Red Sea for them. There was no work of man here. There is no way that God, that, that man could have accomplished this, could have brought salvation for themselves here. Instead, this was the work of God, and everybody identified it and saw it as the work of God. So this trial, even though it was a difficult challenge, and we look at it now, and it's like a story that we read and that our children know about. But at the time, if you place yourself in the position of Gideon, you'll see that this is a very difficult challenge. That you're going up against an army of tens of thousands of people, and you only have 300 people. And this was a test that God was giving to Gideon. Will you trust me or not in this test? And because Gideon trusted, and because Gideon believed in God, we know about Gideon's name today, thousands of years later. We know of him because he was tested in his faith, and he succeeded in the test, and God was glorified through him, that everybody would see how God is powerful, that only through an insignificant army, if you could even call it an army, God was able to grant victory to the Israelites against their enemies. So the first way that God uses trials is to glorify himself. A second way that God uses trials is to build up our character. In Romans chapter 5, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Meaning that it is through trials that God builds me up. It is through trials that God makes me to the person that he wants me to be. And again, in the midst of trial, we probably don't care about our character. In the midst of trial, we just want the trial to end. But this is the way that God says he uses trial for the purpose of this, to help to build our character, to build who we are, to have a different insight into him, into ourselves, into the world. We learn things during trials that we don't learn in any other way. There is no other way that we learn, except some of the things that we learn in trial. So God allows these trials to help me. And again, it's difficult for us to experience these trials. It's difficult for us when sometimes we feel like we're at a breaking point. And yet, in every situation, God offers his compassion, offers his love, offers his comfort to us, and so that he is preparing me for the next phase of my life. Sometimes we don't know the challenges that are to come, and we don't know the things that we're going to face in our life. And God prepares us today for something that we might face tomorrow, and so that we would grow in him more and more. A third way that God uses trials is to sanctify me. As a part of the trial, we can learn to grow closer to God and we can learn to seek out righteousness and holiness more. In James chapter 1, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing this trial that was sent when he's saying here counted all joy when you fall into trials this is producing in us patience it's producing in something in us to sanctify us sometimes we live in sin and we take it lightly and we don't really consider it or think about it until the trial comes and then we wake up maybe to the way that we're living and we begin to live in a different way. We begin to think a different way. We begin to focus. Our priorities begin to change because we realize that I was living for something that maybe was frivolous or not unimportant or even sinful. And yet it is through trial that we wake up to this. We begin to see life as it really is. We begin to see that life is not maybe what I, what I was wasting my time on. That is not life. Maybe the goals that I had, those should not be my goals. Maybe the, t the way that I spent my time or the people that I spent my time with, that was not edifying to me and actually destructive to me. So the first time it is through trial that God begins to sanctify me, that he begins to change my mind and my heart to be able to see things in a different way. Again, 
in the in the Bible study uh, on Thursdays, we're studying in the book of Judges, and we see this pattern repeatedly over and over and over of how God would send trials through the form of some kind of an enemy that is coming to oppress the people to bring them back to him, to bring them back to holiness, to, to cause them to stop sinning, to stop worshiping idols. And this pattern is repeated over and over. Every time the people sin, God sends them an oppressor. And when they cry out to him, he saves them again. But then after some time, they forget again. And then they fall back into sin. And then the whole pattern repeats over and over and over all throughout the book. So here it is the wise person is the one who learns from trial. The wise person is the one who experiences God and, and learns what is important so that we are contented with God and we are contented with his way of life and not with anything else. The fourth way that God uses trials is that trials make me rely completely on God. Sometimes in our life, we're very used to dealing with challenges on our own and we find solutions to everything. And we don't really feel in our hearts that we really are in need of anything or that we really need God for anything. And yet, God can send such a trial that is so difficult, that is so overwhelming, that I throw up my hands and I say, there is no way that I can deal with this. This is a greater challenge than any challenge that I've received before. And the only way by which that I can cope with it is maybe for the first time out of many, many years that I actually sincerely like lift up my arms and I pray to God. And I ask God to help me with this situation because there is no way that I can deal with it or cope with it myself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If we look at our society, we find that our society in general, we don't glory in the Lord. We glory in ourselves. And maybe I personally, I glory in myself. I glory in what I have accomplished. I glory in what I can do. I glory in my goals. And yet it is through trials that all those things are minimized. Those things don't really matter to me anymore. The things that I have don't matter to me anymore. When I were faced with a very difficult trial, maybe the thing that the only thing that I really have that I realize that I really have is God alone. I only have him. I don't have anything else to trust. I don't have anything to put my, you know, to lean on. I have nothing else that gives me strength except God alone. It makes us to rely on God. And when we rely on God, we begin to see God in a different light. We begin to see him in a different way. Not just as a, a lawgiver, not just as a person who tells me what to do and tells me when I'm wrong. He is a father, a person who loves me, a person who is tender and kind and compassionate and wants me to be joyful and doesn't want me to be destroyed or downtrodden. We see this in the trial when we see the comfort that God can give us in the midst of trial. The fifth way that God uses trial is that trials show us that God is dependable. Sorry, the trials show others that God is dependable. Okay, how, how does that work? In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for, for, the, reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. <clears throat> if we, in the midst of difficult trial, continue to have hope, continue to believe, continue to have faith, continue to be obedient, continue to love God and to, to be joyful and content, if we are able in the midst of trial to do this, then this is the greatest sermon. This is the greatest 
way of witnessing or evangelizing to other people because what people really want is not just doctrine and education and teaching what people want is a way of life that they can get behind a way of life that's compelling right all of us universally whether christian or not christian we face difficult challenges but the person who can succeed and be joyful in the midst of these challenges this person is envied maybe we've all seen people in our life that are going through such difficulties maybe such difficulties even more than us and yet they always have a smile on their face they're always happy they're always joyful in every way they're always thankful right and we look at them and say i wish that i could have this i wish that i could be joyful like this when we depend on god and and our our spirit is joyful in him not because you know we like the challenge or we like the trial but in the midst of trial we have joy if you look at maybe whenever they interview the family members of people who are martyred in Egypt and they ask them like how is it that you're feeling like what is it that you want do you want revenge over those people who have done this to you and you hear the people saying no we, we are we have forgiven those people who have done this to us and we, we just want the best for them and we are thankful to God and content with what we have and you see those people in awe and amazement these people prove God's existence simply by their testimony not because of any Bible verses, not because of any, you know, doctrine or readings or anything, simply by their, their, their love and their contentment. And we see how God works in them. They make God manifest to all of us. They make God manifest to everyone. So through this trial, God actually is showing love to the whole world. He sees how much that their witness affects all of us. And we look to them and, and desire to be with them, like them. We desire to have what they have. And this is attractive. This is attractive to all people that say, maybe this is a lifestyle that is, you know, will actually bring me more joy, more contentment. This is how I want to live. I wish that I could trust God like this person. Sixth way that God uses trials is that trials remind us that only God matters in the end. God is the only one that matters in the end. Trials serve to detach us from the world because a lot of times our trials are based on something in the world that we are attached to right i'm attached to my body anything that hurts my body hurts me causes me difficulty i'm attached to my family my friends my career my wealth i'm attached to all kinds of things all these attachments whether they're good or bad in themselves you know, we're attached to a lot of things that are good. I'm not trying to say that these things are bad, but we have attachments. When these things begin to be taken, when these things begin to go in a direction that we do not want, this is what causes us great sorrow because of our attachments. When we see that our family, our friends are suffering, it causes us suffering. When we see that we have problems with our health, it causes us suffering. When we see that we have problems in relationships, it causes us suffering. When we see we have all kinds of the problems that we face on earth, it's all based on some kind of an attachment to something here. When we begin to think that only God is the one who matters, in the end, whatever suffering, whatever pain that we experience here on earth is temporary. It's not going to last forever. There's going to be some end to it. And in the end, we will experience God in the most compelling, in the most uh, you know, joyful, complete, fulfilling way that we can ever experience Him. And we will never experience any of this pain or the suffering again. This is what God is promising us. And He's saying, don't be attached to the world. Trials keep us from being attached to the world. It's kind of like, you know, if you're holding on to like a, like a skillet with your hand that's kind of cold, and then as the skillet begins to heat up, it gets harder and harder and harder to hold until it gets so hot to the point where you have to let it go. 
right? And sometimes we refuse to let go of the world until the world becomes so painful and so difficult that we actually just say, I'm done. I can't trust in this world anymore. I can't love this world anymore. The goals that I have in this world are not important. The only thing that matters is eternity. The only thing that matters is my eternity. I think as people grow older and they begin to feel like more and more of their life is behind them and that all the things that they were attached to at some point is behind them and their careers are behind them and their health is behind them and everything is behind them. I think this is why you feel like a lot of more people who have grown older begin to reevaluate life and begin to see this. They see that life is not worth holding on to. God is present with us here but God is even more present with us in eternity. God wants us to be attached only to Him. And trials help remind us that it is only in the end God that matters. Nothing that we feel trials in are going to last forever. But God will last forever. And our relationship with Him will last forever. In Habakkuk chapter 3, it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. If every means of my sustenance on the earth fails me, if there is nothing that keeps me going here on the world, I know that what? I will joy in the God of my salvation. He is the only one that brings me joy. It is not the flocks, it is not the fruit, it's not anything in the world. It is God alone. And sometimes trials is the only way that God can get us to realize this. Hey, the stuff that you're doing isn't as important as you think it is. Let it go. Let it go. The seventh reason that God might bring us trials <coughs> is because trials actually bring us a reward when we respond positively to them. In James chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God wants to bless us. God wants to reward us. And when he gives us a test, he doesn't give us a test so that we can fail. He gives us a test so that we can pass. He gives us a test that we are able to pass. So it doesn't only teach us things, but it grants us a reward. God wants us to have this reward. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is what God wants, just as any parents wants their children to succeed and wants their children to be rewarded and to be joyful. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to have the crowns, right? So when he gives us a test, it's an opportunity for crowns. It's an opportunity to be rewarded. But we have to be faithful in the midst of the trial. These rewards that God gives are not necessarily material rewards. Maybe there can be material rewards, Maybe this could be a part of the reward that God gives. But the greatest reward that God gives is the spiritual reward. This is the crown of life. Just to see God in life, just to be able to see God, to, to experience Him, to be aware of His presence at all times, is the greatest reward that as human beings we can have in the world. That we are aware of Him. That we never feel alone. That we never feel abandoned. That we never feel rejected. That even if everything around me is going wrong, I don't feel concerned about this or disturbed about this. Instead, I feel content and joyful and at peace. This peace, this contentment, is the greatest gift, more than money, more than anything else, that God can give us. Because He shows us at all times that we have nothing to be afraid of. That we have nothing to fear. And again, trials is a way for us to experience this. It sounds counterintuitive. You know, it sounds counterintuitive. God is going to send us something that is painful to make me in the end feel joyful. 
Actually, it, like we said before, the trial detaches us from, the, from, from expecting high things, expecting great things from the world, expecting great things from people, expecting great things from anything that is here, and we only expect great things from God alone. And God does not disappoint. He will always see us to the end. The last uh, way that God uses trials is that trials make us aware of our sin. In Hebrews 12, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Sometimes we think that the scourging of parents or the scourging of God is a painful thing, and it's a difficult thing. And sometimes we think that those who scourge us or those who rebuke us actually do not love us. They do not give, they, they're not showing compassion or love or kindness to us. But here is saying, when God scourges, when God chastens, he does it for love. He does it because he doesn't want to see us destroyed. He does it because he doesn't want us to see us living in darkness. This is the love that God has. These trials remind us of our calling to holiness. These trials remind us that there's a certain way God wants us to live for our own protection, for our own good. The trials make us aware of our own sin. They make us aware of our own weaknesses. And when we are aware of sin and weaknesses, we should call out to God and ask for his forgiveness, ask for his strength, ask for him to continue to help us to grow and to change. Again, these trials make us change our focus. Without trial, our focus is very much on ourselves, on our goals, on our priorities, on this world. But the trial changes our focus from being on these things to be on what is even more important and makes us maybe sometimes for the very first time start turning to God. This is what the book of Judges teaches us. If we learn anything from the book of Judges, we learn that what the trials make people focus on God. And this is what we need. We need to focus on Him. So in conclusion, we spoke about eight ways that God uses trials. The first one is that trials glorify Him. When we are successful in trials, then He will be glorified in all the work that He has done. Trials build my character. They help me to grow. They change who I am. They cause me to trust in God more. Trials sanctify me. They change me. They transform me. They cause me to care more about my, holy, my holiness in my life. Trials, they make me rely on God more. I can't rely on myself because the trials are too difficult for me to do on my own. Trials show others that God is dependable. When I am joyful and successful in during trial, this is the greatest sermon that anyone can ever hear. Trials remind us that only God matters in the end. Nothing that we care about here in this world has any eternal value apart from Him. Only He does. And for us to learn this lesson is the most important lesson we can learn in this world. Trials bring a reward that if we are successful and we, we endure to the end and we wait on God, God will bring us some kind of reward. And then finally, trials make us aware of our own sin to be sanctified, to be holy, to be changed, to care about the things that God cares about, to put away bad habits and sinful habits that we are, what we are doing. So may God grant us the ability to see trials for what they are. Our first instinct, our first reaction, whenever any trial comes, is sadness, is anger, is depression, is, is worry, is concern, is fear. But if we look past all of this, and we say, well, my God is more powerful than this. God is not unable to keep this trial away from me it is not that god is weak or god is unaware or god hates me to where he is allowing this trial there is some greater purpose to this trial what is it 
and we begin to learn what it is. And maybe we see, we begin to see things from God's perspective. There is something greater going on here than what meets the eye. And when I begin to acknowledge it, when I begin to see it, when I begin to understand it, and I grow and I learn from it, and the goal of the trial is to deepen my relationship with God. And glory be to God forever. Amen.